The Secrets of Middle-Earth is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth, where we discuss the hidden themes and deeper layers found in the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, whether in his writings or in any of the media derived from them. Happy Early Father's Day to all the dads out there. I'm Jeff Hecker, and joining me today are Thomas Sanjaro. Hi, Thomas, and happy Father's Day. Hey, Jeff. Thank you. And Thomas Salerno. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Jeff. And Caitlin Fashisa. Hi, Caitlin. Hello. Be sure to follow the Secrets of Middle Earth in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or any podcast directory or app. And you can find us on social media at facebook.com slash starquestmedia, or on Twitter, where we are at SQPN, or on Instagram, where we are at Starquest Network. And we wanted to let y'all know we now have some merch. We have a new shirt that you can take a look at and order at sqpn.com slash merch. It's pretty cool. It has the Hail Mary written in Elvish by Tolkien himself. And it has images of the four races of Middle Earth, uh, or the four good races, I should say, of Middle Earth. So it's a, and you can order it in a variety of combinations of colors. And so we just wanted to encourage y'all to order a shirt and support the show and the network. They're they're really cool shirts too. Just just so everybody's like that. Like I'm, yeah. I'm super impressed with them. Like they're really neat. You are gonna want one of these shirts. It's very very cool. Everyone should at least check them out and see what they look like. And Father's Day is coming up, so there. If you know a Tolkien fan in your life, it's a perfect gift for them. All right. And today's episode is a Father's Day special. So again, Happy Father's Day to Thomas and all the fathers out there. And I just want to give a shout out to my dad who took me to see Fellowship not realizing it was three hours long uh, back in the day. So thanks, Dad. And uh, so today we'll be discussing father figures of Tolkien's legendarium. Um, but before we started that, we wanted to uh, sh- wanted to discuss some of the Valar names that everyone wrote in with. So everyone had a great response to our last episode about the Valar. Um, and we wanted to share some of the names that you all wrote. So Thomas, did you want to go ahead and read some of these for us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and of of course, this would be the point where I lose the document. Okay, here it is. Yeah. So we, <laughs> as as Jeff mentioned, we got a lot of great responses from the fans with Valor names. And I just wanted to read a few of the best. Um, so uh, Paul Leone on YouTube, and th- this is great because he not only gives us a Valor name, but he has a little story attached to it. So Paul says... My name is Ranyar the Wanderer. He has no fixed abode, and in the elder days roamed freely from sunrise to sunset. Even now he goes to this place or that in Valinor, dwelling for a time with his exalted kin, or in the halls of the Vanyar, or in the havens of the Teleri. He and his folk guided the Eldar on the Great Migration, even though he spoke against it in no less strong terms than did Ulmo. I love that. Yeah, okay, so so Paul knows his Silmarillion, apparently. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I that love that. Excellent. Definite A for effort. Um <laughs> next uh we have Doc Sweeney on Discord says uh their name is Milana, Lady of the Cowboy Boots. <laughs> which is great. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Some of them some of them are great, like what they what they end up being the Lord or Lady of. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Uh yeah, Ryan Ryan Nafziger, also on Discord, says, Riawe, master of music, which I oh. thought was very Tolkienian, given the, the music of the Ainur. Yeah, uh, that one Ka- is very cool. Yeah. Catherine, also on Discord, says, Kavana, mistress of the crocheted blankets. Which I, I thought was that. very nice. Yeah, we, we have a couple of those blankets at our house. You know, just cro- crocheted blankets that my grandmother made. So that that was, I thought that was a nice name. Mm-hmm. And uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this name right. Uh, Louise Iwasik via email says, my name is Lovana, who delights in gardens. We also have a Timstay, Lord of Writing, and an Erorian, Ruler of Puzzles here. Nice. Those are all so great. A great family of Valar. So, yeah, no, everybody who who submitted names that they were, I thought they were all great. And it was really hard to pick just five of them. 
but yeah, it, I'm I'm so glad that the fans had had such a fun time with our little Valar creating game. Yes, it's so fun. Yeah, that's a plug for, to join our Discord because if you go on there, you right. can see a lot more names probably, and because uh, a lot were shared there, so. Very cool. And then, Thomas, I think you also had some Rings of Power news for us as well before we kind of jump into the main topic for the night. Yeah. So I heard the other day that it's been it's either been leaked or announced. I'm not exactly sure which, but that Shelob is going to play a role in the Rings of Power season two. Nice. That's going to be really something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As 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 uh, Caitlin, you and I were kind of talking about before we were recording. As long as they don't go the uh, the video game route with Shelob, yes. and I forget if right, it's yeah. Shadow of War or Shadow of Mordor, but um, where they have kind of a, a personified Shelob as a very pretty lady who is kind of Sauron's girlfriend. I'm not totally sure. I didn't play the video game, but. Um, that was the impression I mean, it gave me, and uh, might not that be was wrong. A, it was a bit. I just don't think that I want to see that. I would really just like to see a nice, big, scary spider. <laughs> like, please. Uh, that's that's too much D and D going into your Lord of the Rings. There it needs to be the other yeah. way around. <laughs> more more Lord of the Rings in your D and D, less the other direction. Yeah, I, I remember when season one ended. I she was one of the characters that I wanted to see mm-hmm. in season two because since season one ends, spoiler alert, with Sauron go arriving in Mordor, I'm like, ah, okay. So Shelob's been in Mordor for like since at least the end of the first age, mm-hmm. I think. So they could they could definitely do you know her, either her first meeting with Sauron or Sauron sending somebody potentially Adar to get eaten <laughs> by Shelob. So there's 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 a lot they could do with that character. But yeah, and apparently it's only supposed to be like just in a single episode. She's not yeah, going to be I a think, major part of the season. I'm I'm not sure about how many episodes she'll be in, but I think it was um it, it was leaked by um Fellowship of Fans and I believe they just called her a minor role so that wasn't very specific Mm -hmm. um but yeah i'm kind of curious to see how they're gonna do this with the time compression and because if you know if sheila was already in mordor before sauron got there but mordor was not mordor and it was still kind of the lush green southlands 15 minutes ago (laughs) i don't know how that will work but that will be interesting she could have been underground. Yeah. Now she's well, right. I was thinking about the tunnels, the tunnels mm-hmm. that the orcs all dug. I wonder if they're going to somehow be used by her or, or something oh. like that. Maybe she'll crawl up through one of them or something. And it would be interesting if they if they did like, OK, so like the flood in the tunnels, if the flood mm-hmm. kind of drove her up from deeper underground, like they flooded her home. Yeah, and so now she's like in the pass of Kirith Ungol and like eating stray orcs or something. That would be really cool. I'm excited to see whatever they're gonna do with her. I just, um, I also hoped that Halbrand wouldn't be Sauron, but now that he is, I'm really happy about it. So it's hard. Like maybe <laughs> I, <laughs> like I don't. I like I say now that I won't be happy with um, human Sheila, but knowing me, I'm probably gonna end up loving it. So. We'll yeah. just, uh, a just rewatch. Gonna... A rewatch really does that show justice. Like it, yeah. it really is. It's worth yeah. a second run through. So I was I talking with my brother about this over the weekend because he recently rewatched it, and he's like, "Yeah, like it. It's just fun, you know. It if, is. Yeah. If you're a Tolkien fan, you get all the references, and yeah, there are things that are different, but it's like." Yeah, as long as you kind of compartmentalize in your head that you're like, okay, this is a different universe than the prime canon universe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe as a comic book fan, I'm just used to doing that. To compartmentalizing <laughs> right. other universes is like different. It's just that that other Spider-Man, right? Or I'm sure that right. makes it yeah. a lot easier because I don't think a lot of Tolkien fans are used to having to do that. And so that's mm. kind of been the struggle. Well, speaking of other compartmentalized things, since this is coming out in June, um, Another big piece of Lord of the Rings news is Magic the Gathering 
is doing a run of Lord of the Rings cards. And um, if you haven't heard about this, if you're not a Magic fan, this might not be very interesting to you, but um, it looks really cool. I think they're really neat. I think the the concept of the crossovers that Magic has been doing lately have been very interesting. Uh, They've been getting a lot of of press and a lot of kind of motion into other uh, fandoms. Uh, My favorite part about this one, though, is that there is going to be a single printed card of the ring of power so there's lots of one ring what? uh cards available but there's one one card that's a foil card limited edition one of a kind it's the only one that's going to be made and it's going to be all in black speech and it's going to have uh, all of the information of the card in black speech so that's yeah i know it's like it's, when so i found cool. that out i was like no way and so i went and checked that out and then beyond that there are going to be soul cards which are the the other rings uh so there's only 19,000 of them that are going to be printed which is the the rest of the rings so the the three rings for the elvish kings the the dwarves and then the humans and they're all in um uh variations on uh the speeches as well so really i'm super excited that they like really went all in on this and said no no no, we're gonna do one card and that's going to be the it's only one, only one person in the world will get that <laughs> that's card. That's crazy! We'll get that card. Oh my god! And it's randomized. It's just going to be thrown into the um, thrown into the decks and randomized. It's like so a golden buy... ticket. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, but now, but now, people are going to go out and buy truckloads of those packs of cards, though, trying I, to get I, they do they do anyway. So this, oh, this is okay. not a really yeah. huge difference. For I mean, if you think about <laughs> so. it, though, like even buying Pokemon cards now, every store you go to has a limit on Pokemon yeah. cards. So oh, I'm sure they're okay. going to set limits. Yeah, that's probably that's probably. I mean, I'm sure that um, Wizards of the Coast doesn't mind if they sell. Massive amounts of magic cards in the interest of try- <laughs> people trying to get that. Uh, the yeah, one I would just hope that like everyone who wants to get one can find one, and they don't, you know, end up on eBay. Like, oh, this, this one's going to though. Well, yes, <laughs> oh, this one. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, it's it because be, because they kind of made it into a little game. So I would like you yeah. know and anyone to be able to play. This is fun. And so, so for anybody who has never done magic, I, I really recommend it's really interesting. There is a whole rule set of rules about draft, about doing draft decks. Um, if you're not really into it, but you would like to learn and um, you can get behind like figuring out some rules, they're starter decks. And that's the best way to learn. But if you uh, really want to try out like the spirit of magic in itself, uh, learn how to do a draft, a booster draft. And it's basically like a hundred bucks worth of cards. You buy one package of uh, cards and then you sit around a table and you each person opens up one pack they take one card from the pack and then pass the rest of the cards to the right or left and you do that until everybody has a deck or enough cards to make a deck and then there you go you start playing with whatever you have uh and it's a really really fun way to to make uh make a deck in magic and play i I do it with my kids uh we've done it a couple of times now and it's a it's a blast but yeah not you know so it's you don't have to like go out and go crazy and buy like every single really expensive card that's out there millions of packs until you get exactly the thing you want unless you're after the one ring of course (laughs) right so yeah that's coming out that's coming out in june uh towards the end of june that's so cool they should do a silmarillion pack and just print three silmaril cards and then people will be (laughs) telling each other over them (laughs) that's that's the next one now you're giving me the idea for the next one all right, very cool. Yeah, I played Magic back in the day, but before they did all the new licensing stuff, so it's probably been 20 something years since I've actually played Magic, but I still have my cards, so um, There you go. Very cool. This might be worth well, something now. <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right. Well, I think if nobody else has any news or other tidbits uh to go into, I think we can kind of start into our main topic for the night. Um but before we kind of start talking about the Legendarium Fathers, um, I didn't know if anyone wanted to mention anything about Tolkien's father or or his him being a father. Um, the only things I had noted were just, as you may remember from previous discussions for our audience, uh, his father died very when he was very young. So even before his mother died. And so he kind of had a spiritual father in the church, in, in the, the oratory where who his mother kind of entrusted him to. So he kind of had that as his father figure. Um, I forget the priest's name off the top of my head, but, um, and then as a father, he did, you know, we all know, as we discussed before, he did all kinds of imaginative things with his kids. He did the Santa letters and told crazy, amazing stories with them, uh, based on random things, his kids, uh, 
his kids did or found or whatever. So, um, but did anyone have anything else they wanted to discuss about that before we? Yeah. So earlier today, since I knew we were going to discuss this topic, I took out this book that me and a bunch of other writers uh, for the Voyage Comics website put put together. It's called Tolkien and Faith. And one of the writers, um, actually the founder of Voyage Comics, Philip Kozlowski, wrote a little essay on Tolkien as a father. And there were a couple of there was one particularly funny bit in here. Um, and it it bounces off of something you said, uh, Jeff, about him reading and and originally kind of crafting some of these stories for his kids. Uh, in the essay, there's a there's a quote that they that they use from uh, Christopher Tolkien um that he wrote for the the 50th anniversary of the hobbit and i thought it was pretty funny where christopher writes he my father also remembered that i being between 4 and 5 years old was greatly concerned with the petty consistency as the story unfolded and that on one occasion i interrupted last time you said bilbo's front door was blue and you said Thorin had a gold tassel on his hood, but you've just said that Bilbo's front door was green, and that the tassel on Thorin's hood was silver. At which point my father mother, my father muttered, damn the boy, and then strode across <laughs> the room to his desk to make a note. <laughs> and I thought that was rather humorous that, you know, as he's telling essentially the first draft version of The Hobbit, to his son Christopher. Christopher is helping him with the sort of cons the, the consistency, making sure everything's the right color. And, you know, I, I just thought that was hilarious. And Philip ends his little essay with this great reflection saying, Tolkien's greatest legacy was not his multi million dollar estate, but the devotion and care of his children. All he accomplished in life was for them. And it was through his call to fatherhood that he became the greatest fantasy writer the world has ever known. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, of, of all the great reflections of fatherhood we have in Middle Earth, it all kind of comes from him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, at least in, for the first quote about the story about the messing up the color, I was like, if, if, if any, anyone who has kids knows, if you tell if your kids love the same story and you read it every night and then you mess up something or you miss a page or something, they'll, they let you know. So <laughs> that's yeah, definitely in line with, uh, <laughs> very in line. So, so it's funny that we can all kind of have something in common with, with Tolkien there. Um, very cool. Well, if that is, um, so I guess we can kind of move into our discussing the actual legendarium fathers. Um, Thomas uh, Sinterhoz, I'll, I'll go to you first. Who is your favorite father or who would you like to discuss first here? So, so this one's tough. I'm, I'm split between two and their names are very similar, which I thought was, was really humorous. As I was looking through this, I was like, no, these are actually both my favorites. Um, and I think the reason that they're both my favorites is because they're men of action and they're men that, um, that led by example, uh, and their, their children pick up on that example. Like you see their children pick up on that example. And in the one, in one case, we have a, a child that picks up on that example, but fails, and in the other case, we have a, a child that picks up on that example and like really becomes one of the greatest uh, uh, heroes in of the of his age. And that's um. So the first I wanted to talk about was Yarendil, which is the um and the half elf and the uh, the star. Uh, the, it's this incredible mythical figure in uh, Tolkien's Legendarium, and that he's mentioned in the rings of power. And I love the way that he's brought up and like what, uh, what is said about him and kind of that it's, it's made this impression, not only in this very big way about, uh, what he did historically, but also how it affected then his children afterwards. And that's, um, that's, it's so, it's so impressive to me because like he's, um, he's a person that pursued his, uh, his passions, but his passions weren't for himself. They were for others. And that's that it was recognized even to the point of the, that when he went back to the land of the Valinor and he should have been put to death for it, they recognized that the reason he came was not for his own glory, but for protecting others and for being, uh, for being the person who was there defending others. 
And that to me is just really cool. Uh, and the fact that he's like a star, like, you know, that he is actually a light in the sky. <laughs> That's so mm-hmm. neat. And, and as, as a, uh, a boy who grew up with a father that was like always really involved in these really impressive things, uh, I know what it is to like feel like I'm never going to live up to that. Like that's this guy is so cool. And like in knowing that the things that he was involved in, the politics that he was involved in and uh, the stuff that he he did, uh, you know, it, it just but it but it's also inspiring that, you know, he's just a man. You get to see him at home and see that he's just like me. Like there's no difference between us. It's just that he goes out every day and does great things. And that was that always inspired me. And I felt like that's kind of like you see that in this heroic figure uh, that we don't get to know much about his fatherhood, but we know that he was a good example because the child that he has becomes such an incredible and impressive person. And then the turn of that is Elendil, which is the the father of Isildur. And uh, Elendil is, by all accounts, a, an incredible man. Like he, he it leads uh, the Numenorians, uh through a lot of really bad places and still comes out the other side as a heroic figure. And so much so that when they when they go to confront uh, Sauron, he's there in the front and it's it's his blade that is shattered on Sauron that is then picked up by his son who courageously carries on that same uh, motion. We know that, he, of course, Isildur goes on to fail and not is not able to destroy the ring. Um, but we also get the sense that Isildur did not fail because he was uh, incapable of destroying the ring. He felt like he could turn it to a good purpose. And so that's it's the danger of like being a person who cares for others so deeply that you are uh, even willing to overlook the good for what might be possible. And that's kind of the, the sense that I get of Isildur. I mean, I'm interested to see like how we, how the story takes him in the rings of power and kind of molds him into that uh, figure. So those are my two, uh, my two dads that I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Very cool. And, and I think there's a good chance we've, I think we've discussed the possibility of having um, uh, the actor playing Elrond also playing Irindil, um in a flashback type of a uh, thing mm-hmm. um or the or uh or elros um he could play both since they were uh since elros was um or no no i'm sorry um he could yeah, play elros, elros was so, his sorry, twin. Was, mm-hmm. yeah but we could mm-hmm. see we could see a flashback to Arendil um as well in the uh in in at some point so definitely on the table and you have um i don't know sildor and the rings of power is great so it'd be hopefully you get to see a and lot Elendil more was fantastic yeah, he's oh, yeah. Like, he's yeah, just one of the best in the series. Absolutely, very cool. Well, um, Thomas uh, Slanger, do you want to go next with your dad pick? Sure. So I'm. I wanted to talk about Theoden, who is an. I I really like Theoden. He's one of my favorite characters. I mean. I have a new favorite character every time I re-listen to the <laughs> Lord of the Rings on audiobook. And this time it's Theoden. I really like Theoden. And because he's not a perfect character, right? He goes through that period where he's under Wormtongue's influence and Wormtongue's domination. But especially in the appendices, you, you learn a lot more about his backstory and about his history. You know, he's he's a widower. His his wife died in, in childbirth to his son, Theodred, and his uh, brother-in-law, Aemond, uh, died fighting orcs. And then he adopts Aemond's children, Aomer and Eowyn, as his own. He, he raises them in his house as his own children. He calls, I mean, he, he really has, you know, a lot of love for Eowyn. He, he, he calls her dearer than daughter. You know, he's he's very protective, which, of course, you know, that clashes with her need to strike out on her own. But, you know, there's that there's never any love lost between the two. And you can tell that he was a very caring father figure. And he's also a father in a sort of way to Mary, because Mm -hmm. when Mary, Mm -hmm. you know, becomes his esquire, he says to Theoden, a father, you shall be to me. And. He and he he just immediately, you know, just sort of takes Mary under his wing, and it's so great, and it's so, 
you know, it, it, it's such a beautiful thing to have this, you know, this good man, this really, you know, solid, virtuous man, you know, once he's especially once he's freed from from worm tongues domination, you know, he's he's courageous, courageous to the point where he he goes to a battle knowing that not only that he might die, probably will die, but that everyone else, that he's leading all these men probably to their deaths. You mm-hmm. know, not not just at the Hornburg, but at 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 Minas Tirith. You know, he mm-hmm. knows the size of the force that they're up against. Tens of thousands of orcs and Easterlings and all the rest. And he's like, you know, we are probably and that's why he tries to hold Mary back because Mary wants to go along. He's like, I won't have it said of me that I was always left behind. And Theoden's like, you know, we're all going to our deaths. I took you under my wing to protect you. So did you, and but then, you know, when he, he gives his life for his country and when he meets Mary on the battlefield, he's he's not angry about it. You know, he he his his last words to Mary, you know, are are so beautiful where he's like, you know, um, s- smoke and think of me because he was mm-hmm. going to talk to Mary about pipe weed and stuff like that. I, I just I just think that of. Of the many men there are to look up to in Tolkien's Legendarium, to me, Theoden is a standout as a solid, virtuous man. And I, I think Tolkien did that on purpose because he models the Rohirrim at a, after kind of that Anglo-Saxon, you know, Norse mm-hmm. uh, culture that he loved so much. I feel like he's even a father to Aragorn um, during yeah. their time. Um, yeah. And Rohan, I like there's there's moments where Aragorn's still not sure about his, uh, you know, about where he's where his path is taking him. And, um, uh, you know, especially following the death of Boromir, uh, it's it's like he's able to really help him mourn and help him come back from this kind of dark place that he's tending toward. And then Helm's Deep. Uh, he's the leader that, that's the impressive part is like he he knows at that point who aragorn is he, like he's mm-hmm. he's got a clear picture of everything but he still takes the lead uh with all of the decisions that are made in that battle and that's really uh, like it's an awesome very definitely a very good pick it yeah it's, it's almost like he he's a model for aragorn on how to be mm-hmm. a righteous king mm-hmm. yeah absolutely Which i think he's really great yeah very cool yeah always like theoden and you know he's very well cast in in the the Jackson film. So if if we see, I'm sure we'll have to talk at some point about the future of the the, re, the remaking of Lord of the Rings films. Um, and because it's it's just hard to beat some of the casting. Mm-hmm. Um, but very cool. And Caitlin, what about you for favorite father in the in the Legendarium? Sure. So I picked Elrond to talk about. So I think it was fun that we talked about uh, Elrond's father a couple minutes ago, but. Elrond himself as a father is he's someone with so much warmth and steadfast protection that I think really embodies a father so well. And I think it's really extraordinary that he's able to be such a good father in this sense. He raises his own sons and his daughter, but he also um, he plays a massive role in keeping the line of Isildur alive. And he's fostering the heirs of Isildur. I believe it says in their youth and in their old age throughout the ages. And then he's um, all the way up to Aragorn. He's, he's a foster father to him. And I think it's so interesting because he doesn't really have a good example of a father because not, not to say that his father isn't a good example, but it's just that his father isn't there. Because his father, you know, I think they they depicted this really well in the Rings of Power because he's kind of wrestling with this, you know, like my dad's still around, but he's, you know, soaring up in the heavens as a star. And he did this massively heroic and sacrificial deed, but I can't talk to him and I can't have this relationship with him that I want. And then on top of that, he's he's fostered in this very strange relationship by Maglor, one of the sons of Feanor, who kind of initially had almost kidnapped him and his brother. Um, But then he's like, 
his heart is softened and he decides to kind of take care of the um the sons of Arendel in this very strange way um but Tolkien writes that Maglor's heart was sick but he loved him in like the, the capacity that he was able to so that's just very it's very weird to me um but I think it's very interesting too that you can see Elrond so he he's lost his father and then he's also had this very strange relationship with a kind of foster father figure and even despite all of that, he doesn't become cold or detached and he doesn't harden his heart or, you know, close himself off from others. But instead, he he just exudes warmth. And we know of Elrond, he's he's described as being as kind as summer and he welcomes his home or he he opens his home. He welcomes people um, throughout The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. And his home is kind of like the hub of of wisdom and it's a refuge for people who need him. And so I think with Elrond, we see a lot of wisdom and a lot of just like, it's like a, to me, it seems like a kind of tender love, but it's also very strong. And I think that that really expresses like what, what you want in a father, you want them to be strong and someone to, to take care of you, but also someone who's also very loving and kind. Um, and he's suffered so much grief over his lifetime. You know, we have the loss of his parents. His twin brother chose a mortal life. And so he eventually died. Um, his wife has to leave Middle Earth after being tormented. Um, and he ultimately loses his own daughter because she's going to choose to remain in Middle Earth with Aragorn. And so I think he's just a really stand up guy. Like he's um, he's a good example, I think, of of what a father could be. And at his counsel, he is wise and not saying anything like he mm -hmm. doesn't tell anybody what to do. And that's kind of the I think that was a brilliant, uh, you know, uh, the depiction of him in the movie was just amazing of, of him sitting and observing everything. And that's kind of his way about the world, really. Yeah. And like he's he's been there for so long. He 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 knows when to speak and when to kind of sit there and, and let others speak. And he, um, he, he definitely just has a lot of wisdom to him. Yeah. Very cool. Um, yeah, I know I've, I always liked him and I mean, again, the casting was great in the film. So, um, and mm -hmm. I'm, I like, I like what our, I, I forget the actor's name, um, but the actor in rings of power, uh, Robert um, Arameo. Yeah. So I, I liked his, his, uh, depiction so far. And I'm curious if, if we'll see him actually, um, you know, see him becoming a father in the show or if we'll see any of that um, timeline. I don't know if it quite matches up where, where the show probably will end, but um, maybe we could see some see something like that on the screen one day. Yeah, that would be interesting. Very cool. Well, I guess for me, um, so I, I kind of picked a couple that kind of go together. And the, so I'm, I'm going to start with Finrod and who's not a, not a father in the biological sense because i i don't believe he had children or ever married i think he the one the elf he he loved was uh didn't want to marry him or something like that i i don't know as much about that but for those who don't know finrod was one of the the elves in the first age or well, in before the first age but one of the one of the kind of the, the highest elves and he he's actually the one that discovered men in middle earth and he and and I'm counting him as a father because he he basically kind of found these wild men in the woods and he taught them he taught them elvish culture um and taught them the language and uh, I I from what I remember from reading the film it, he kind of sang to them and the men were like mesmerized by his what he even if they didn't understand what he was saying they were still kind of mesmerized so he kind of took on this father role to the men to the this group that he met which was the the Adain, um, kind of the men that, that would end up becoming the Numenorians, but, um, specifically he had a relationship with, uh, with Barahir, who is the father of Baron. So in, in the, in, in the Silmarillion, um, and one of the big battles, uh, Barahir saves Finrod's life in, in one of the biggest battles of, of the first age of the war of wrath. And so Finrod kind of promises that he will, um, he'll kind of take Bar Barahir's uh, 
descendants under his wing, kind of. And he gives he gives Bar here his ring, who then, and unfortunately, Bar here um, is eventually killed off by uh, Morgoth's forces. But he then passes the ring on to Baron, who comes back to and eventually finds Fenrod, and Fenrod kind of honors his his relationship with with Bar here and kind of takes him under his wing a little bit as well as um, eventually saving Baron's life and and giving his own life. Um, So just, just kind of a cool full circle thing with, he kind of took on this role of being a mentor to men and kind of a father to all men. And he, and then specifically had these relationships with Bar here and Baron and he, which led to him, um, his, his death in middle earth, but he was, um, uh, reincarnated in Valinor. I think he's one of the few elves who dies um, in Middle Earth who is reincarnated. Actually, that we know of in Valinor. Um, I could be wrong on that. I'm not as familiar with it with it as y'all are, but um, just so. So I think just that their whole that whole dynamic between uh, Finrod and Bar here and Baron is is very cool. Um, I don't know if anyone else has any any other tidbits about those those characters. It, it's just a shame that we didn't get a little bit more of his like information on, on his death in the rings of power. Cause I think viewers would have been really interested in that because he kind of, when he's, he's trapped in the dungeons of Sauron with Baron and the other elves who were with them. And Sauron is having them killed off one by one by werewolves until only Finrod and Baron are left. And Finrod essentially goes Super Saiyan. He gets so much strength that he breaks the chains that are holding him to the wall and then fights this werewolf to the death. They both end up killing one another. And so he has this like incredibly heroic over the top, but very, you know, spectacular death Mm -hmm. that we only it's only hinted at in the Rings of Power where you see the claw marks on his body. but. You know, we're not really, you know, a a flashback later to that might be nice because just to because I think his his character has such an incredibly heroic death that's so impactful to later events, because we all know how important Baron is in the the uh, the lineage that eventually becomes the Numenorians and, of course, the the um, the heirs of Isildur. So, I yeah, I, I he's he's a very in some ways kind of underrated character, but who, you know, I'm I'm definitely interested to see more of in future adaptations. Yeah, he's so cool. He's he's <laughs> probably one of the coolest elves, honestly. I mean, all of the elves are so cool, so it's hard to choose, but he's top top ten for sure. Mm. Well he's he's on the right side of almost everything. That's like the you mm-hmm. know, the it's it's not there are not many elves that can say they are on the right side of almost all the decisions that were made <laughs> like except maybe taking the oath of feanor that is not good but you know like with everything else you know he's definitely on the right side of of justice yeah and i'm wondering now and just i hadn't really thought about that they were in sauron's dungeon and we could see and now that sauron we know is is one of the main characters when he if he comes face to face with Elendil before obviously their final battle uh, where Elendil dies, but we could see get some reference to that of 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 Halbrand Sauron saying, "I tortured your your great 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 grandfather and your <laughs> and etc." And and if uh, he could mention that about to Gladriel about uh, about um, Finrod as well, so mm-hmm. definitely could be some they could you know sprinkle that in there if they really want if they want to so um yeah we possibilities shall see. are endless really yeah so we had a couple other fathers on the list um and you know we anyone can kind of talk however that we've we've talked about the valar so if, you know um, we don't necessarily have to spend too much time on that but i, I did put on here a, about eru manway and uh Aule as kind of father figures um in because as we know manway's kind of the he he's the he's the main valar uh aside from melkor and he he is kind of the Ares representative to uh to creation basically so 
um, I don't know if anyone had anything or anything to say about Eru as a father or Manway kind of as a father figure. I know with Ale, we talked about his uh, creation of the dwarves and saying he's going to, he'll, he'll kill them uh, he'll, or he'll destroy his creations, but Eru taking, um, you know, having mercy on, on them and actually giving them the breath of life and so that they are now, um, you know, can now be fathers themselves, uh, the dwarves. Well, Aule specifically says that he made the dwarves precisely so that he could imitate his own father, Eru Iluvatar. Mm-hmm. So the, the, that, the, the theme of fatherhood runs through that whole story of Aule and the creation of the dwarves. Just another reason why it's one of my favorite parts of the Silmarillion. I also think it's cool to mention, too, that Iluvatar means father of all in Quenya. Mm. So he really is the, you know, he's the god of creation, the father to all. Sort of baptizing that. And and Tolkien was such a a scholar of Norse mythology. He's sort of baptizing that title because the chief of the Norse gods, Odin, was called the all father. Father. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of bringing that into a more monotheistic Judeo-Christian kind of context. That's very interesting. Yeah, very cool. And then um, just going on my list here, we've, we've, I think we've kind of touched on the, the elves. Um, the only other one I had put on here was, and for the elves was Thingol. Um, Cause he mm. was the, he was the father of, uh, of uh, uh, Luthien, who was the one who would marry Baron and, and between them would would create the line of that led that leads to the Numenorians and Aragorn. So, um, Thingol wasn't always the best best guy, a best father, and didn't always listen to his <laughs> his wife or anyone, uh, you know, telling him what he should do. But, um, you know, he did as 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 any dad probably would do. He he thought this guy isn't good enough for my daughter. So, uh, you know, you have to do something impossible. Like, I don't know, get the, get a, give me a Silmaril. <laughs> give, a, give me a Silmaril from Moria. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. I like no how way. when, when Melian is unhappy with him, she's just silent and doesn't say anything. <laughs> it's funny because like, he's not going to listen to her anyways, if she does say anything. So there's just no point. <laughs> and she knows it. Oh. But you know her eyebrow game had to be strong, you know. I'm sure, like, yeah. She had that eyebrow. side side eye glare kind of thing. <laughs> and then his plan backfires because he tells he wants Baron to get killed doing this, and then Luthien's like, oh, "I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with him." And so she, yeah, you know, so you know, my my daughter isn't old enough to date yet, and um, obviously, but I know one day I'll 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 need to kind of keep these things in mind and. <laughs> On what not to do is bring you back to Silmaril. That's yeah, exactly. <laughs> Probably so, not the best idea, <laughs> right? But yeah, so um, but on here I'd put um, he's kind of not really a father; he's more he's kind of more of a more of a crazy uncle. But I did put on here Gandalf because he's. <laughs> he does he he does kind of a, is a father figure i would say probably more to bilbo than maybe frodo and i feel like frodo he's more of kind of an uncleish too but with bilbo he's uh i feel like there's more father fatherhood there and he's mm-hmm. kind of saying you know you're you've been what have you been doing with your life you need to you need to get out and do something you know instead of lazing around your house all day <laughs> and they'll suddenly you're the thief. first adventure you're a thief now here you go <laughs> yeah. okay. So I don't know if anyone had any any other thoughts about Gandalf as as a father or. Well, I think he offers a lot of uh, guidance to to the hobbits, to um, to Frodo and Bilbo, but also to Aragorn, too. He's mm-hmm. he's um, I feel like he plays the mentor role very well to everyone around him. He's kind of he's not going to tell you what to do, but he's going to um, help you make the most informed decision that you can. And mm-hmm. he's. He's not always going to be there at your side, but it's like whenever he's with you, he's always working to kind of impart wisdom onto you and and make sure that you're you're going to have everything you need for your own journey because it's not his journey. It's he he recognizes that it's your journey. So I think that's very um, fatherly of him. Yeah. And he kind of passes on the the lesson of mercy to Frodo from Bilbo because Bilbo could have killed Gollum in the um, in the in the mountain, 
when he first met him, but Mercy stayed his hand. And then Frodo's, when they're on the, the quest for the ring to, or to return the ring to Mordor, he's, Frodo's like, well, should we kill him? And Gandalf kind of says, remember, your, your uncle showed mercy. And so he kind of passes that, that mercy, that lesson of mercy along to Frodo. Um, and then obviously they needed, they needed Gollum um, to get to, uh, get to Mordor in the first place. So um, it's, he kind of had that wisdom to, you know, it's always good to be merciful. Um, and cause you never know kind of what that'll lead to. Well, and then I, then I did. So moving right along to, from Gandalf to Bilbo, I, I put Bilbo on here just because he is, he is a, you know, he kind of adopts Frodo as his, as his heir, even though he's his uncle, but um, he, since Frodo's parents were killed, were uh, they died. And so Bilbo took him in. Um, I don't know if anyone had any anything they wanted to say about Bilbo as kind of a father to Frodo. He's more, yeah, like I said, he's he's also kind of a fun uncle and uh, kind of a <laughs> well, it's interesting. guy. We we call him his uncle, but technically he's both his first and second cousin once <laughs> removed. Yeah, <I'm> which <laughs> it's a little odd, but okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, Bilbo's one of my favorite characters in the Legendarium, and he seems to have been a very kind of hands-off father figure you know he just let frodo kind of be himself and grow into his own person you know although you know he he introduced him to elvish and took him on walks through the shire it's not like he's trying to impose his adventuresome lifestyle or anything like that on frodo you know he really wants him to kind of be his own his own person and 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 to be the the master of Bag End is why he he leaves him everything. He he wants Frodo to have, you know, a good life. It's just that he also knows I'm passing on to you this thing, which might end up ruining your life. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous. Yeah, well, they don't even really know. Like I, that's the that's the thing about the um, the ring is such an interesting part of this, right? Because I feel like. I feel almost like it's his fatherhood for Frodo that saves him in the end um, because he trusts Frodo. He's, he's raised Frodo right almost. And that's what allows him to take that step to put the ring in, in to leave the ring behind and to walk away from it. And again, you see it when, um, when Frodo arrives at Rivendell and they meet and they talk and, and, Bilbo's again like struggling with this need to take the ring back from him but it's that father that fatherly instinct that he has that prevents him from being able to do that not not just a care for another person but a care for this particular hobbit that he raised that he cares for yeah and he and even literally gives him protection like he protects him by passing mm-hmm. on his uh his mithril coat and Right. This sword. Um, I mean, he he wouldn't have really had a use for it in Rivendell, but it's like something he could have, you know, had he been a more, you know, more central, more if, if he was more concerned with money or anything else, he could have sold that off and gotten quite a bit of money for those. But he, you know, he he recognized that Frodo would need them as kind of and they, they saved his life. So and then um, I. Just thought it just it, this occurred to me today just to put on here, uh, put the gaffer on the list of, yeah. <laughs> of kind of good dads to talk about because <laughs> even though he's 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 uh Sam's grandfather, um, he's uh, he's still he, or he his father, gives a lot of actually, right? Oh, is his he's, father okay? I don't yeah. know why I was thinking of grandfather, okay? It's because um, they always talk about him as really old, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. <laughs> But he like he it's just he's he's this very earthly guy and you can definitely see that Sam gets uh gets a lot from him um uh, all this wisdom and you know these kind of simple country country things that lead to that just have formed Sam into being such a good person. Um, I don't know if anyone else said anything to on Gaffer or Sam. Well, I feel I wonder like... if he taught Sam how to clip the eaves. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel like Sam is always, he's always like, what, as my gaffer used to say, you know, he's got all these, <laughs> all these little, little phrases of advice that kind of carry him through the story. So it's like, um, even though it's very simple and I think it's 
meant to be humorous within the story, but it 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 ends up being kind of profound, you know, like where there's life, there is hope and need of vittles. But like mm-hmm. it's simple, but it's 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 all you need sometimes. Mm. And Sam also has the the father figure of his father in law, Tom Cotton, who's mm-hmm. like this very who's like one of the like he he comes out of nowhere at the end of the book is like this heroic hobbit figure, you know, and who, you know, has this big family and is one of the chief people in Bywater. And like he really takes charge with Merry and Pippin of the Scouring of the Shire. And so Sam's really lucky to have both, you know, they're they're two very different people. You know, the, the gaffer is kind of this, you know, quiet, retired gardener and font of wisdom, whereas Tom Cotton is more of a hobbit of action, you could yes. say. But uh, yeah. he, he has these two great examples and these two great men in his life. And becomes a great man because of it. I yes. mean, we don't know much about yeah. his, you know, we don't know much about his children, but you can assume that as he picks up the end of the tale, uh, that he has a lot of wisdom and, mm-hmm. and culture to bring back to his own children. Yeah, very cool. Well, I, th- I had put on here uh, just since we've talked about we as we kind of did with the mother discussion last time we kind of had the good moms and then i put on here a couple kind of bad bad dads to <laughs> chat about for so i i'd put on here i mean obviously morgoth is kind of the <laughs> the biggest one because he's yeah. he was obviously he kind of created he created a whole race of of evil um you know or of kind of bad things in the orcs or he twisted the elves to become the orcs and he's he's kind of a father to them. And I know we, which, uh, so I don't know if we've, we've talked about the Valor a lot and about Morgoth a lot, but I don't know if anyone else wanted to have anything to say about him as kind of a, as a bad guy or as a, as kind of an evil father figure, but as, as opposed to, you know, the good, the good Valor that we've discussed. I think Melkor or Morgoth is an example of someone who has been placed in a position with a lot of authority who just, abuses it with reckless abandon and no regard for anyone else and you can see um the way that he has no care for the welfare of anyone but himself and um you know even with Ungoliant who you know he's making these little deals with as soon as she starts asking for more than he's willing to give like he he'll turn on her um you know he He's just someone who does not care for anyone but himself. So he's uh, definitely a example of an awful uh, father figure. And he's he's cursed, like he's he's spiteful. That's the mm. that's the thing that, and he's different from Sauron because Sauron's not spiteful. Sauron is is conniving and mm. and cruel, but he's not spiteful. Like he doesn't have this sense of wanting to destroy everything. He wants to control everything. Whereas Morgoth is more, he just wants the world to burn. Like that's his whole, mm-hmm. his whole game is just take the Silmarils. Why? Like, what's he going to do with them? There's no, there's, yeah. there's not really any, he just takes them and then he goes and disappears and hides in a hole. And that's all he does with them. It's like, he doesn't need them to, turn the like there's just no plan it's just i don't want anybody to have these things <laughs> i don't i don't, I don't right. need them but i don't want anybody to have them it's just <laughs> pure greed he's just chaotic evil yeah yeah i think sauron is more lawful evil and yes and oh yeah, very much. yeah. Just chaotic evil i'm interested because we've never really seen much of it portrayed and in the silmarillion we don't even really get hints of it is what was the morgoth sauron relationship like because Sauron's his lieutenant and I guess I kind of always imagined it as maybe like analogous to the Megatron Starscream relationship from (laughs) Transformers except except kind of reversed I guess because like Thomas you said like Morgoth has more of the Starscream personality right spiteful yeah he just wants to and just wants just wants to break things takes it out on people Whereas Sauron has more of the Megatron lawful evil mm-hmm. kind of personality. Yeah, it must have been interesting, like an interesting relationship because he did train him like he did teach mm-hmm. him. That's 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 the sense that we get from this is that he that Sauron was brought up by 
um, Morgoth. And so you almost see the sense of like, it, it's that, that just spiteful, awful father that produces this son who is out for himself because the world is an awful place. And that's the exposure that he's had is this, this being that's more powerful than him that has all the things that he thinks he wants. And he's just become twisted into this conniving, awful person that could be doing so many good things. Maybe has, as they were trying to show in the rings of power has the best of intentions, right. But is just not equipped to do them the right way. Yeah. And I think about the way that Tolkien says that Sauron was, was only less evil because he had for a time served someone other than himself. So I think that kind Mm. of sheds a lot of light into the difference between the two as well. And um, a little bit about their dynamic. Oh, very cool. And so along with it, kind of, we talked about the similars a little bit, but um, I thought a, a good example of a, of a bad dad is, is uh, Feanor himself, who mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> kind of led to, led to so many problems uh, in, <laughs> in Middle Earth. Um, but he, you know, for those who've not read the Silmarillion, he's, he's the one who created the, the Silmarillion in the first place. And then he became so jealous of his own creation, uh, or jealous of anyone even seeing his own creation. He locked them up and he, um, and then Morgoth stole the, uh, or Melkor stole the Silmaril and, or stole the Silmarils. And so that led to Feanor, the Oath of Feanor, which we mentioned, um, which I don't know if anyone wants to kind of give a brief uh, summary of that or description of that. Well, it's interesting, right? Because he doesn't that, isn't that whole precipitated because Morgoth kills Feanor's own father? Mm-hmm. unless i'm mistaken yeah. so there's a lot of yep. fatherhood dynamics in that story yeah and i think for fanor it's it's more like he is jealous of those of the silmarils but when they're taken uh it's i don't know like the hatred he has for uh for morgoth for melkor is is just it's unhinged like it, it's beyond even yeah uh, revenge it's beyond jealousy it's it's just completely wild and it's so wild that it in, that everyone else gets caught up in it just suddenly like yeah this is yeah you're right that's this is awful this is how and it's it's one of those charismatic just kind of hatreds that immediately drops right into the bottom of every elf that follows him their soul is just washed in it and it's horrible to watch but at the same time you completely understand it like I, that's that that's my sense of it like you know like he's this this creature that's spiteful and evil and horrible has just stolen all beauty from our existence and the two responses are okay well let's make new beauty and let's go kill it and they all just like jump on the let's go kill it train yeah and he led to the the first kinslaying between elves of the first elf, mm. elf slaying elf, um, which was just kind of unheard of at that point, um, and just so so far against everything that they that that they had ever known. So, um, yeah, definitely he's he was kind of the greatest of elves, uh, or could have been kind of the greatest of elves, but became kind of the <laughs> the worst of the elves. Which, uh, mm-hmm. uh, so, well, and then kind of along with him as a. And we we kind of talked about him a little bit, I think, the last time when we were talking about um, uh, Denethor's wife, uh, the mother of uh, Boromir and Faramir. But I put Denethor on here, too, as kind of a, like, he wasn't as bad as, you know, Feanor and others, but he still kind of wasn't the best dad to um, to his kids, uh, or at least to, to, to one of his kids. Um, it seemed like he and Boromir had a pretty... They, they they had a pretty good relationship, but at least with Faramir, he kind of as we kind of I think we kind of chatted about he just didn't really care for him all that much. Um, so and which led to a lot of issues at the end, and even trying to trying yeah. to kill him, uh, to kill his own son because he mm-hmm. he thought that was the way to go uh, to like let's burn and be uh, be we'll be reunited or whatever. So to impose modern psychology on uh, on a figure. Uh, this is like epitome of narcissist here. He's got uh, a golden child. 
that he loves. And then the other one that's like the scapegoat for everything. And he is very, he conceptualizes of himself as this very important historical figure. And um, yeah, he's just, he's just categorically not, but that's, you know, you, you see in this guy, like a person that's, he's a king, but he's not really great at it. He's a father to these two sons who are fantastic uh, people. Like both of them are very, uh, very, very good uh, men, despite having kind of this really wretch of a father. And, um, and, and you can see like those, those sort of relationships, uh, like that's very definitionally like a, a narcissist, very full of himself. You could, I, I can fill in many of the other phrases that were not put into the book, uh, based on the way that he is with it, just with his sons. The things he says are just awful. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. It's like, and they're probably not, that's probably like not not even the sum of what he was like, you know, I could just, right. And he kind of has that thing towards the end where, you know, like where Gandalf comes in and takes Faramir away from the, the house and he's like please don't take my son from me and he's like he's like no you're you're you know for his own safety he needs to be separated from you and and mm-hmm. at that point he he has nothing left he just gets completely unhinged he's like fine he's like but you won't rule my own end then and it's just like wow like with with every rereading Deneth like those scenes are are such powerfully written scenes Mm-hmm. that like you you don't understand denethor but you get the the intense drama of those scenes with with him and faramir and wanting to just burn with everything and the fact that like he part of his re of his crazy reasoning is that Gandalf was going to bring in this other guy, this ranger from the north to supplant me so I wouldn't be able to leave my chair to a son after me so mm-hmm. he's he's blaming other people for his own actions. This is Gandalf's fall, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, you're 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 right, Thomas. He's just so unhinged, but at the same time, a, a very kind of pathetic figure in, yeah. in the old sense of that term. Like you kind of feel sorry for him, but uh, I kind of go back and forth between feeling sorry for him and being like, well, fine, <laughs> have it your way then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely not writing any parenting books. <laughs> <laughs> or if he is, you don't want to read them. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, it all may have started is. with his wife's death, untimely death. Because I think in the in the appendices, it does say he 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 did love her, you know, and it, mm-hmm. it even says after his fashion. So you know, <laughs> yeah. he, he did love her in his own way, and I think that. The, that loss kind of started his sort of spiral into just more brokenness. He didn't mm-hmm. know how to deal with it. And it's sort of like that need to like, control, well, if I could lose her, I could lose anything. Mm-hmm. And so that need to then control and hold on to stuff, I, stuff I think leads him to start looking into the Palantir. Well, if I just know mm-hmm. more about what's going on with, Sauron and all that I'll be able to control things I'll be able to save I'll be able to to hold on to people so I don't lose them but he ends up losing everything yeah and I think I I think I may have speculated that Faramir took after his mother and so maybe that's why Denethor kind of oh was was more you know more of that way to you know wanting to push him away because it reminded him too much of his of his wife um and but we don't know that that's just a you know or my speculation but uh could be headcanon for the moment uh, unless they, <laughs> they discover another you know book of appendices or something down the road <laughs> if only but um well i think unless anyone has any other father figures to discuss um i think that's that's all that i had did anyone else have any father figures or anything any other last minute uh things to say I think we 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 covered most of the major ones pretty well. There's so many though. Yeah. So definitely yeah, and viewers and listeners should tell us their favorites. Yeah, and and I know we didn't discuss Arathorn, but I think it, in a future episode we might 
dedicate to um, to Aerithorn. So just stay tuned for that. But um, if no one else has anything, that's it for this episode of The Secrets of Middle-Earth. We'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make the show possible, including Bart F., Martin W., Justin H., Adika L., and Tom V. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give help us to continue to create The Secrets of Middle-Earth and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them at sqpn.com slash give. We'd love to hear from you. Which father in Tolkien is your favorite? And you can let us know at sqpn.com slash Middle-Earth on our Facebook page or on Twitter. Send an email to Middle-Earth at sqpn.com or visit our channel on the StarQuest Discord server at sqpn.com slash Discord. So there is a new bit of content coming out that we wanted to discuss. So the Gollum video game is coming out, um, I believe, in toward the end of May by the time this episode will have come out. So we decided it might be a good time to do kind of a, a discussion of Gollum as a character the next time. So um, stay tuned for that. So until then, Thomas and Harrow, thank you for joining me in The Secrets of Middle Earth. Thanks. It's been a pleasure. And Kate Flushista, thank you as well. Thank you. And Thomas and Hera, thank you so much. Oops. I mean, Thomas Salerno, sorry. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And once again, I'm Jeff Hecker. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Middle-Earth on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Catholics of Oz. Find it wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash oz.